Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Waterway Desho's stream of thought, where we got an appetite for destruction and we scrape the plate. I'm here, the subtle doctor, with my buddy, my ever-present pod compadre, Shadon. What's up, Shadon? Everyone. I am sorry. I did say, <laughs> I did say in the previous episode that as and when Franks actually got good or became worthy of merit, true merit, uh, I would roll out the apology box and prostrate myself before it in shame. And well, let's just say that I should never become a betting man because that has literally <laughs> happened in the space of one episode. So um, while this is, of course, only an audio file. This is only audio. You can't see me doing this. Just imagine me, you know, like if you've ever seen one of those films where someone's like prostrated themselves before the emperor of Japan and he's like full on bowing, hands on floor. And that's me. Or maybe, no, no, I'll go one better and just say that basically Franks did to me what happened to Yamcha in Dragon Ball. <laughs> Smashed into the crater. Again and again. Yes. You are hereby sentenced to join a special monastery that I'm founding in which you are going to walk around for several hours of the day, chanting your apology, and then hitting yourself in the forehead with the soon-to-be-released copy of Darling in the Franks, Volume 1, Blue Raymond. Ooh, I feel it's a just punishment for my uh, lack of faith, shall we say. How dare you? How dare you not believe in Papa to your utmost ability? Well... You know, I'm sorry. All right, we got the apologies out of the way. Let's not dwell on that too long, because we have a lot to celebrate and be positive about here on Darling in the Franks, Episode 5, Super Caliente Edition. The anime strikes back. That's right. That's not actually a bad comparison, because the tone is actually surprisingly similar. Episode 5, 4? Sorry, that's just a joke I enjoy. Anyway, Your Thorn, My Badge is the very appropriate name for this episode. Uh, And I was not able to get my hands on the screenwriter for this episode. I'm going to guess that means that it was a 
collaborative effort between the two head writers, but the episode director and storyboarder this time out. So, and you really can tell uh, that she had a big impact on this episode. Her name is Noriko Takao. Like I said, she storyboarded and directed. So I think you really can give her a lot of credit for just how different this episode is and how well it comes together, what it emphasizes, the shot selection. She seemed to be pretty involved. Her previous episode directing experience, I I should have gathered her previous storyboarding experience as well, but she's directed episodes for Idolmaster, and I'm assuming that's where um, the director knew her from, plucked her Mm -hmm. from, because he was uh, very involved in Idolmaster. She's also done Clonade, Kaon, Canon, Lucky Star, and Haruhi. Um, a lot of slice of life, a lot of very character-driven stuff with group dynamics, and I think that that is very uh, apparent when you watch this episode. Yes. I have two things I want to say in response to this. First off, all the shows you've listed, I haven't really watched a lot of any of them, but I generally know about them, and from what I gather, the tone of those shows is usually quite light. Mm-hmm. And yet the tone of this episode is yes. very much the calm before the storm. Brooding, Brooding I would call yes, it. yes. It's absolutely thick in atmosphere and menace and dread. And for someone whose history or whose pedigree of work is very happy-go-lucky slice of life stuff, I think that this lady well, definitely has... Cl- real- the- <laughs> Sorry, Certain parts in Clonade notwithstanding. I've heard that Clonade will will devastate you. Oh, God. <laughs> well, uh, all right, time to watch that later to self-flagellate. Yeah, there we go. No, um, but my point is that, like, I think that this this lady definitely, Noriko, she's got some serious talent to go from doing that stuff to properly framing and articulating what in you might expect would be a moment of triumph because you'd think, you know, Heroes pilots his trilogy for the first time and he's not, like, you know, dead. So this is a glorious moment for Yay! the team. Yay! This is like the team, you know, finally coming together. Every like the hub's over with. Now we can truly like celebrate and be happy with what comes next. Ah, uh-uh. nope, nope. Things go downhill pretty fast. Um, but the second thing I'll just throw out there because I'm stupid and ballsy like this is I'll just say, Narco, for your hard work on this, if ever we bump into each other, drinks on me because you've done a cracking job with this episode. You've actually saved the show for me. Like Frank's up until this point has floundered for me. It really has floundered. It's struggled to be about anything meaningful. It's struggled to truly get me invested in the characters. And when it did get me invested, it then just one-upped itself. It face-planted, in my opinion. <laughs> How dare you? Episode four was good. Eh, and three, eh. I, I will grant you the first three were, um, two being the Nadir. Uh, the other two were, like, you know, middling Possibly, you know, uh, the design work putting them in the slightly above average category. Yeah, but you would, people people have heard already how we disagree about four. Well, I don't need to go down that road. Yeah, I mean, you've still got time to correct your you know your own mistake and see the light there, Doc. But anyway, <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid, I kid, I kid. So yeah, no, um, take it from us if you want the non-spoilery review of this particular episode. It's the show finally delivering on what it promised, and it finally delivers on world building, character dynamics. I, I I'm so happy. Well, deli- I would say it. Del- yeah, it delivered on this particular moment. Like 
it still has a ways to go in, in tying some things together and yes. making making certain like thematic choices and motif choices like making them matter in a way that they kind of don't matter right now and they're just sort of there for giggles mm, yeah but, that's true. but like taking nothing having said that i don't want to take anything away from takao like she did an amazing amazing job like you said really capturing a mood at this moment in time for cringe plantation uncringe 13 mm-hmm. okay you want to get into it yes let's do it okay so right out of the gate we see early on that all is not right for our our champion our our boy who grabbed himself a pair of wings to fly away on, ignoring the metaphor <laughs> set up by the Chinese mythology in the opening episode. Uh, he mixes it up. It grabs a pair of wings, uh, but those wings are indeed killing him. Are they, though? Hmm. I have a theory on this. Well, yes, right? That's the that's the question. It, it would... We see varying degrees... Um, of severity as the episode goes on like, <laughs> that's that's pointed mildly <laughs> yeah i know his condition it initially we just see that like you know goro hops out of bed and wakes him up and he's you know been sleeping poorly uh he's groggy after a full night of sleep he's sweating and just does not appear well yeah but he tells goro hey i'm fine look yeah don't worry about it i'm good yeah and uh, we'll, of course, return to this later. Oh, but... how can we not? Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the next scene we have is kind of a parasite group dynamic. Uh, it really, like, from the last episode, I think this is carrying on that good work of making them feel like a team. Yes. That being said, that being said, mm-hmm. there's something I noticed here that I was quite impressed by. So this is the same meeting room that we've now seen the group in a couple of times. Uh, first episode, and then I believe also in the third. Yeah. The way this is laid out, and again, I may very well be reading too much into this, uh, but to give you some context, this is the post-victory, like, <clears throat> heroes finally piloted Strelizia, and everyone's, generally speaking, on board with it. Zora May's hyperactivity now is actually in service of enthusiasm rather than scores. Yes. His personality shines through here in a positive manner, which I was very appreciative of. It makes him less cypherish, shall we say. Hero shows some pretty um, adept people skills by dealing with him like <laughs> the easiest way to get a barking dog to be quiet is throw it a bone. And he pretty goes much. over to Zorame and, you know, uh, basically apologizes. He's like, I'm sorry for holding us back before. I'm going to do my best to pull my weight and not be a burden on the team. And well, all, Zora May, all Zora May can do at that point is then say, very good, uh, yes, do better in the future. Ha ha ha, we are the champions. And indeed. Yeah, then he's he's no longer an enemy of Hero. Yeah, and that's when the air horns start playing and everyone starts throwing beer cans around. <laughs> except except for Ichigo. And Mitsuru, which is the point I'm going to yes. get to. Yes. Now, here's the thing, right? What I noticed when, it was, when I was watching this is that one of the establishing shots of this meeting room, and indeed has been used previously, is of the sofas that they have, the couches. And they're laid out in a circle. Now, the circle in this scene 
All of the characters, with I think the exception of just Mitsuru, are inside said circle, while he's sat on the outside, near a window, and doesn't say a damn word. Cue up, uh, cue up stained, uh, I'm on the outside, <laughs> right oh, here. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, sad that we both know that song. We're too <laughs> old. Fucking song. Oh, you're so old. We're so old. Uh, oh. we were, like, angsty teenagers at a terrible time musically for angsty teenagers. <laughs> Well, let's just put it this way. We definitely weren't Frank's pilots in our youth, that's for sure. But that's foreshadowing for later. Um, Anyway, the point I was going to make was that I think, again, this is another example of the direction here using positioning of characters to show us and, sorry, to enhance the existing narrative to reinforce what's being told to us. Because the team, generally speaking, are now being cohesive. There's not any really, you know, nasty divisions like, you know, petty bollocks going on anymore but Mitsuru is not in that inner circle he's positioned outside of it and he is still as we will learn later a pretty much very bitter about what's going on and he has his own uh, medical issues as it happens from uh, pilot 002 which I will bring up later when we get to hero's own problem because I you know I tend to like exploring the facts that we're given to us to help to speculate a bit and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has to be said, like, at this point, that there's still rumours going around about 002. Now, one of the things that I think, um, is it Miku? Miku? Yeah, Miku, Zorame's partner says. Mm -hmm. And I I can't believe she said this, so I thought, well, um, I hope she never, you know, uh, tries to count beyond the number 10 in her life. (laughs) What? Because she says, uh, oh, I guess the, you know, free piloting, free size piloting with her in dead thing isn't true. And I was like, one, two... Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, a yeah. bit premature. <laughs> Poor Miku. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll allow it because, funnily enough, the jokey, the cynic in me says, well, they didn't pay attention to the first time he piloted with Strelizia. You know, they seem to completely forget that ever happened as evidence that he can do it. But the, but the, <sighs> but, but, I will also be fair and I'll grant them that this is meant to be a moment of, you know, a victory for them. This is a good moment. Like, everyone's on board now. Mm-hmm. or are they or are they but i really did like this scene i liked how it was shot how it's framed again positioning of characters to convey meaning yeah it's good stuff genuinely impressed it's awesome uh ichigo is like her face is, is sort of hidden in a lot of the opening shots like she seems very downcast and you know we talked last time about her getting it together for the group and mm-hmm. she's this episode shows like that she hasn't necessarily like she can sweep her emotions under the rug, but they're still there. Um, yeah. She's still trying to take care of Hero, still trying to be his friend, come to terms with like his new kind of role with Zero Two. But of course, Zero Two is not necessarily gonna let her do that because she wants to monopolize Hero entirely yeah my my darling belongs to me she says a couple times we do have to say that as much as we've you know given hero shit for his attitude zero zero two responds the exact same way and i think that this i hope is a hint that like i said last time that their crappy attitudes in general are going to be called out and examined that they're not there because of tone deaf writing that's my hope and before I forget, it should also be noted that in this meeting, 002 or 02 is not there. So even though she is right. now 
kind of part of the team, she still isn't. And that really mm-hmm. does go to sharp focus later on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. And, and we'll talk about this as we go. Like, there's much more to Zero Two than simply the manic pixie dream girl archetype. She's not yep. just a silly eccentric. Exactly. As I think has been hinted at on numerous occasions, but like we get more than hints this time. It, it does have to be said that Zero Two's personality, um, and again, we got hints this, but I think it's pretty much confirmed at this point, her personality is her armor. She is wearing it over something underneath that is wanting to be on occasion at the same time I think that she is also perhaps maybe slightly afraid of or maybe concerned about because we do learn later on not only about how she thinks, but also how she views other people, how she views the concepts of humanity, and also that, well, the horns are not merely aesthetic, let's put it that way. Nope. No, they're nope. not. It is... We, the, there's credence, perhaps, given to uh, her, her bloodline slash you know, genetic makeup rumors. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's got a really dangerous part to her. Yes, indeed. And it's funny that we can forget that because what we're presented with is so often a carefree, silly, slightly, again, quirky girl. And early on, we were given facts and also shots of her danger and her like being a lethal component in this whole Frank's setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even you know, even I uh, throughout these past few weeks, like, have been forgetting that because yeah. again of her outward display. Her armor is so kind of like pervasive and so attention grabbing that yeah, even like the the bare truth that was laid before us early on, like it's you know. It was growing dim. The light of it was growing dim in the face of this uh, act, this performance yes. that she's that she's doing. Yeah, I think her and Griffith would get along really well. Let's just put it that <laughs> way. Because much as with Griffith, you you do you find her a compelling character that you're behind and you want to see do stuff. But you have to remember, like I had to actually physically remind myself when we, in the previous one that it is right that she did nearly kill Mitsuru for no good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a yeah. prick, and I don't think he's going to unprick himself anytime soon, but... The show began its quest, noble quest, to make me like him this episode, though. <laughs> it, 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 good luck with that. I'll have to say, goodly, exactly. G- g- Ganba, Franks. Oh, God. God. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, this is where we start to have a little bit of it peeled away, and I'm genuinely pleased to see that happen as well. Totally. Like you said, uh, for the the establishing shot of the group Mitsuru like gets up and walks off I think he does yes which was uh very telling and so we see of course Zero Two stroll into the breakfast hall and take Hiro away from his friend his longtime friend Ichigo and disrupt the rules you know the seating arrangement all that stuff she does not care about that Mm -hmm. and I think the most interesting part of this scene to me was um, was not the girls feeding the guys, although that was fun. Um, it was the the prayer. Yes, yes. Really, like, how do I say this? So a lot of times I think anime will put some religious symbolism out there 
you know, dress up its villains in popish clothes, you know, show the sort of militaristic slash theistic, like, church government army mishmash thing. But they won't follow through a lot of times with, like, making that stuff present in the everyday lives of the citizens and the people. Yes. You know, the ceremony we saw where they get kind of their official ranks, like, that's that's the kind of thing that, it, you know, you see a lot of. But, like, they have a blessing of the meal. And yes. it's very quick, you know, it's it's uh, didn't take a lot of time. But I thought, man, that really cranks up the um, believability and the world building. And it just adds so much, that little bit, uh, the prayer before eating, which, of course, Zero Two spent that time pouring syrup onto all of her food um, <laughs> standard lovely yeah i i agree this is what i wanted to see from the start which is just elements of the world being built in that aren't strictly just visual because as you've rightly pointed out a lot of religious iconography often doesn't have any meat to back it up it's simply there because it is and to some extent i get that because there have been societies in the past that have appropriated religious uh, symbols yeah. and icons without actually then having a religious bent the nazis did that mm-hmm. the swastika for example was actually i believe originally a religious icon i, I would have to double check but anyway and um, my point being though is that now we're actually seeing world building being delivered and what's more it's being delivered organically <laughs> like, no, <it's- laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I can, I can totally like just, I'm just imagining this rigid like, hello, main character. Let us accompany me to the church house in which we will read from a propagandized religious text. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, think of it this way, right? In science fiction and fantasy, there is an inherent conundrum that you have to solve, which is how do you deliver your exposition to the audience? Because the audience, when they pick up that book for the very first time, apart from what they see on the cover and the title, maybe if they read the blurb on the back, will have absolutely no clue what's going on. So you have to explain things. You have to explain where they are and how the rules of the world work. Now, the problem with that is, is that when you do this, you have to do it in a way that doesn't come across as forced or breaks them out of the fourth wall, breaks the illusion of the, of the fiction. So there's a lot of examples of this in media that, I can point to one of them that you'll probably know of if you've ever seen it. Again, this is probably as old as the stained reference, but if you have, at least this is much better <laughs> is, is the matrix. So what's the, no, really same, same vintage though. <laughs> same vintage. Yeah. But here's the thing about the matrix, right? The, the common things to do in these stories is often to have a protagonist who serves as an audience proxy, who when stuff is explained to them, because they don't know about it, we in turn learn what's going on. So in The Matrix, Neo learns from Morpheus throughout much of the film how The Matrix works and the rules are given to him. And because he doesn't know, it's a, it feels natural. It works. Yeah. All the JRPG amnesiacs. Yes, that's, that's true as well. So that's one way of doing it. But what Franks has done so far is that Hero doesn't serve as an audience proxy and there isn't even really one at all, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They all rightly, I would argue, go into this story knowing what they know and they don't suddenly start talking as if they've never known it before because that would be weird and strange. But then you have the opposite problem in that because Franks hasn't explained anything um, up until this point, um, it's really grated on mm-hmm. me that I keep seeing all these things happen, like the way the the 
robots are set up, which we still don't get an explanation for, by the way, but that will probably come later. But now that we have, like, the religious elements being woven in here just a little bit, we start to see how this culture is coming about. You mentioned the seating arrangements. It is boys and girls being segregated here. They don't sit at the same table, but 002 just walks right in and, of course, pretty much sits on Hero's lap without a second thought of it. And I can't believe that I didn't even notice this in the first time they had the meal. I mean, I actually, if I go back now, I could probably think, wait a minute, girls one side, boys the other. Oh yeah. my, okay. So there you go. Uh, because of the, uh, the religious elements, you can then start to infer other things as well. You did mention, of course, that Zero Two doesn't give one iota of a crap about praying for Papa. She doesn't give two shits. Nope. But then, think of it this way, right? I, and again, I can't believe I didn't spot this. People way smarter than me must have seen this in the first episode when they got introduced to a code name, but Recall that Hero has had a naming convention for his friends that, to varying degrees of strictness, he's stuck to, uh, where he names them based on their uh, code names. So, forgive me if I'm incorrect on this, because I don't know the Japanese number for zero, or O, but I do know that two is ni, ichi ni san. So, O, ni, oni, demon. And therefore, you know, she's the demon in God's kingdom here, because Papa, I think, is very much starting to be allegorized as God. Because they're praying yeah, to him, after all. They do. Or they, well, they pray for him. They pray for him, yes. Which is interesting, right? I mean, who are they Who are they praying to? I don't Pretty, know. Yeah. Is, is Papa the deity, or is there a deity who's looking after Papa? Is there Grand Papa? Who knows? <laughs> Grand Papa! <laughs> I don't uh, know. Perhaps it's the, the supply of energy. Or I don't know who knows, but um, the we'll great uh, the great Earth Spirit. Who who the fuck knows? Ronald McDonald could be anything. Who cares? <laughs> but um, oh, I hope it's Ronald McDonald. <laughs> that's a Battlefield Earth reference. Would you believe? Although not quite Ronald McDonald. Um, but anyway, uh, no, it's not the Cyclones in charge of this. Thank God for that. But the point I'm making is that this all happens naturally. And you'd learn new information, and you can learn new information from that information you just learned. And then you start to get a better understanding of Zero Two's role in this, because her presence, as you said, now does start to cause changes within the group dynamics. Uh, two of the other kids, the I can't remember their names because they really haven't done wise done much. They're the ones piloting the Russian-looking Franks with the Yushanka hat. Right, uh, right. They they sit together and start, you know, giving food to each other. Yeah, the lady that uh, Zorame has his eye on. <laughs> Like, yeah. what are you doing? Uh, they've got they've got strange things going on. But this is the thing. We now have a baseline established for how the characters interact and how things are changing as they go along. And we get even more of this later when we get introduced to a different group of Frank's pairs, which, in my opinion, is one of the best examples. Oh, well, of- we can't... Let's let's hold off on... Oh, uh, yeah, yes. We have to wait, Zip. wait, because that is... Zip. That's a huge... Yes. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... But, yeah, I think, like we're starting to see that hero and zero two together really have a chance to shake things up uh, and disrupt this society just because i mean from a very young age we have hero doing these weird things that no other plantation child is doing mm-hmm. you know with the names and then you have Zero Two bucking these other rules, like and together. I think they're going to be like a, a force of change. They're already, I think, making changes in the feelings and behaviors of those around them. 
And I, my theory on why they have segregated the uh, boys and girls at table and why that they don't let them have names and everything is that they do not want the pilots having feelings for each other at all. You know, they don't know what kissing is, uh, but they're like well entrenched in this terminology of, of sex, you know, because it's that's the the language of piloting the robots in this universe yeah and like because of what hero did and how that group grew up together and now because of zero two coming in like a wrecking ball like you have effects on people like ichigo like mitsuru like you know goro and and uh Zorame and everyone <laughs> and how they feel about the other people in their group um, yeah. And that that could lead to big changes later on, I think, and make this group uh, in group 13 possibly like a really important group for like breaking humanity out of the shackles of Papa's regime. Yep, absolutely. This is just a theory. <laughs> oh, uh, but that being said, I'm going to I'm going to just rewind very quickly something i've just realized is quite amusing so uh (laughs) so the the reason that all this is happening by the way i mean this is not just happening in the vacuum there is a background uh, that plantation 13 and plantation 26 have met up at last to engage in the kissing sequence which i could believe that i pointed out last time and then they actually do know what kissing is but i'll allow the fact that maybe they don't know that you know that's what it is they just think of it as like a mechanical procedure and literally have no clue about it being an intimate act. But what I did find funny is that the entire <clears> idea <throat> of the two plantations kissing is to transfer liquid magma yes. between them. Yes. So I'm like, okay, exchange mm-hmm. of bodily fluids, here we go. Oh, God. So, yeah, Lovely. that's a thing. That's a thing. Uh, in fact, I didn't mind that so much, though, because it was just a minor background detail. It wasn't uh, the emotional climax at which that happened, shall we say. But again, that's all <laughs> ground, so we'll not cover that. Shortly after the meal scene, we do have the beginning of the water droplet imagery. Yeah. Um, which I guess is supposed to be like one reading of it is just hero sweat, right? Because he's sick and walking around debilitated and tired. And uh, I believe we get three of those scenes. We do, yes. Which corresponds to the number of trips he needs to make with. Uh, oh what's her face before he dies which also corresponds to the number of days christ was in the grave before he resurrected oh. hero is jesus <laughs> well i'm not i don't want to you heard it here first <laughs> i don't want to be a part of that religion that's for sure um well i actually i also i they are heroes sweat drops that's that is what they are but you could also take the first one to be ichigo's tears because it cuts immediately yeah. after her after yeah. her speaking into that you're right. You're right. But this isn't this is an example of the mood being set up here because we see Hero just in the gents' bathroom, um, looking at himself in a mirror, and you can see that he's sweating and convulsing, and he's obviously in a bad way. And I've generally, up until this point, been very skeptical of all of the bad stuff that's been said about Double O Two because they weren't. I, I tend to see believe what I see rather than what characters necessarily say. And indeed, there's still certain elements of what's said about her that's not. I think necessarily true. I still don't buy, for example, that she's got Klaxosaur blood in her for a variety of reasons. But there's cert- she's certainly not human either, or rather she's not genetically fully human. So 
we now, of course, start to see Hero side of fall apart, and oh boy, uh, yeah, is it is it the next scene? I think where uh, Goro finds out. Uh, no, this is not the scene where he finds out the full extent. Um, we do have a scene of him p- pushing off responsibility onto Ichigo, the same uh... way that fucking Hero pushed responsibility off onto him. So. Yeah, none of these none of these kids want to have difficult conversations, but uh, but they are kids, so. Well, Ichigo does. She has probably one of the most difficult I can imagine. Yeah, no, you're, that's right. I mean, Ugh. yes, she is a real. I think she's a real leader. Very admirable character. Yeah, in fact, I would argue that at present she is the most compelling character in the show, apart from mm. Zero Two. Like Zero mm-hmm. Two is enjoyable for entertainment reasons, but the real character stuff is happening with Ichigo. She is struggling with you know coping with as a leader. Uh, growing up and also still like dealing with her own feelings she reminds me a bit and although the context differs she reminds me a bit of rancor from frontier Hmm. Hmm. dealing with you know feelings versus juicy and what she (laughs) wants to do her man chose a pink-haired girl over her yeah Mm. it fits Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i really spat my drink out because i didn't realize that shit (laughs) oh fuck me Oh, she gets green hair now. That's it. I'm walking out of this anime forever. That's amazing. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> she should get green hair. Then that would be we'd be all in. We'd be locked in forever. Uh, oh god. You say she's the most compelling character, but the next scene we have Mitsuru popping Claritin in the bushes. <laughs> oh, he's getting right? quite loose going. <laughs> Let fucking he's got allergy loose. problems. <laughs> Well, I think sorry. Those, are... No, no, <laughs> no those, p- those pills just resemble Claritin uh, aesthetically. <laughs> but no, clearly there's some sort of. Um, well, I say clearly, like the the boy has psychological problems, but also uh, it's a like it's psychosomatic as well, right? I mean, they're affecting him physically. He's like gripping his chest. He's shaking. Yeah, so he's popping pills to try to deal with it. And uh, I was worried. For um, Kokoro, wow, that's I think that's a Japanese word for heart, which is funny. Um, okay, I was worried for Kokoro when she happened upon, you know, Mitsuru using there in the in the in the bushes. I I was very worried because the music got very tense. The moment ah. was grim. There was a lot of shadow. And she said, is there anything I can do for you? And I was like, no, n- leave her alone, you bastard. Oh. <laughs> Thankfully, he was just grouchy with her and he didn't do anything to her. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's like, are you pitying me? Fuck you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's just a sweet, well-meaning girl, it seems. Uh, so he can fuck right off. Fair enough. Do you think that what he's currently going through is indeed just... PTSD, we'll call it, or trauma, or is it perhaps something a bit more physical? You mean he rode with her once, and so he's got something? Yeah, because this is going to be important later for the speculation that that I'm going to go into about what's Mm -hmm. actually happening with Hero. Because let's be frank, let's just get this out of the way right here and now, okay? Hero looks like, at the end of the episode, that he is probably going to be dead within the day. But... And I think this is key to note. This is, of course, only episode five of a 24? <laughs> 24, yeah. 24 episodes. Yeah. So him dying is obviously not going to happen. Although if it actually did happen, and I'm not saying this because I don't like the character, I'm saying this because I would genuinely be surprised by it. I, I, that would be quite the thing. That would that would genuinely take me aback. 
It would be a move. <laughs> it would be a move indeed. But here's the thing about a lot of fiction. When you consume a lot of media or even just a little bit of it, you eventually do become savvy to certain things. Like, you'll go into, it, like, say, any Marvel movie. Like, the next Captain America movie that comes out, the odds are fairly good that Cap is going to live. They're not going to kill him off. Or you watch any... Generally speaking, unless you're Masaki Yuasa, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, your characters will live to fight another day, and they will win. And it will be a net positive. So, hero dying, I think, is about as likely as me crapping a gold egg. Yeah. Tomorrow. It's funny, though. Like, I agree with you, and yet, like, I still feel, like, my heart in my throat, and, uh, you know, I, I feel a tightening in my chest when yes. he's going yes. to pilot with her, and, well, I mean, what's going to happen? Like, it's uh, yes. very successful, even though we have this, like, you know, plot armor knowledge in our in our brains. Well, this is the point. The destination, we are already fairly confident on, but it's the journey that needs to be compelling in a lot of fiction like this. And Franks finally has that. Because this episode is saturated with dread and tension. I did say the car before the storm for a very good reason, because they have a mission coming up that they learn of later. And everything about it suggests it's going to go south real fast yeah not just yeah. because of what they don't know about each other because bear in mind hero's condition and mitsuru mitsuru's sorry for that matter are not really known to the rest <laughs> of the, they're really bad they're, they're not really known to the rest of the team they don't yeah. know what's happening to them so you've got two potential pilots who need to be benched and then what they do learn or do know is coming to them which is to say that uh, getting a little hair cells here, but there's going to be about 150 Klaxosaurs going to attack the plantations God. head on. And in case you forgot, they couldn't handle either the popcorn Klaxosaurs that were not really more than rats <laughs> or the single giant sandworm one without Strelizia's yeah. help. They've generally speaking not succeeded. The, uh, the Dollar Shave Club edition. Yes. <laughs> the cutthroat one. So, <laughs> so suffice to say that Again, without even stating it to the audience, there are, you're being told things and you remember things that happened previously, and the characters themselves are aware of this. So, even though you feel fairly confident that Hero will live, in fact, I'm going to say it's absolute certainty, you still are concerned about what's going to happen, because no doubt things are going to go really badly. Yeah, what will the damage be? Oh, it's going to be catastrophic, I'm right. fairly certain of it. Oh boy, yeah. Short, shortly thereafter, uh, the Mitsuru part uh, we have Zero Two uttering for the first time in the episode. I think she says twice, "Hero belongs to me." Yep. Uh, or, or my darling belongs to me. Um, and then before what I think is like a pivotal scene in for the entire series. Yep. Like right before there, we get what I think is a hilarious moment because it might be the most like obvious, like sirens, like air horns arrows pointing to the screen look at the symbolism like they have hero look up and see a butterfly caught in a spider's web yeah and a spider crawling toward it and i'm just like okay like yes put the camera on this exactly like focus in on like and hero understands like and furrows his brow I'm like oh man like this is just like we don't need this. We all understand what's happening here. <laughs> this is like the most like 
blatant of the blatant, like, just, yeah, I mean, we all understand what's happening here, and it made me laugh. It could have been worse. It could have been a Black Widow. (laughs) Also, is that a loaf of bread that the spider web is over? It looks like a giant bun. I don't know what those things are supposed to be. On the wall. I, I don't. I don't even know either. If they wanted to do this properly, what they should have done to borrow in with the flower analogy is have a fly caught in a Venus flytrap. Or ha- I mean, whatever you do, just make it off a off center, sort of. like in the background, you know, and or or yeah. blurred out or something. Like, don't. I mean, there's just no need to be that like ham fisted with that imagery. But moving on from that, we get like I had to pause the episode and tweet about it because this was a holy shit moment for me like yeah you have already you you broke the seal on it earlier by mentioning uh so part of the kissing of the plantations is that 26 has a team of pilots of of young kid pilots that are uh here to help their contemporaries with the energy transfer and the operation that you uh alluded to earlier uh-huh. And they are having a talk with the kids from 13. And uh-huh. Zorame, Zor- young Zorame fields a question, have any of the children in your plantation become adults? And uh-huh. it hit me over the head like a two by four. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was not prepared for that. It was unbelievable. It was, it was a, a gut punch. It was... Uh, galaxy brain it was like holy shit like you've been you've been hiding this from me franks <laughs> you you've been you've been holding out on me here buddy <laughs> <laughs> oh i i really love this scene for a couple of reasons and not least of which is of course what you've mentioned but this is the other example of goodwill building. yeah i mean it shows that 13 is like part of a wider world of a of a system that humanity has created and the the contrast with the group from 26 and the group from 13 and their attitudes and what they believe and their their general demeanor even like the way they look and walk like is so illustrative and uh, of everything and and gives of of the characters and the world and um gosh we we get so much good information from their exchanges yes we we had double. We had zero two coming previously, who was the extreme outlier on one end of the scale, and these kids are the baseline on the other. With our heroes stuck in the middle. I mean, I cannot deliberate. This is deliberate, by the way. This is not a criticism. I cannot remember a single distinguishing feature about any of the actual Frank's pilots from Twenty Six. Not one. There's guys and girls, and they're all cookie cutter, bland as wallpaper paste people. But that's intended. Yeah. One of them has a head bandage. Uh, the other one has like a Royal Air Force haircut. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm gonna have to now cut together a music video of um, Aces High to this for Iron Maiden. <laughs> that would be that would be sick. That would be great. <laughs> but this this again is an example of how you do world building because this is being delivered to the audience without coming across as forced. You can infer without having it clubbed over your head about these people being the standard and what it means for our characters to be different and you can start asking questions from that. And indeed, the characters themselves have a sense of self where Zorame, for example, or the fact, and this admittedly is a bit odd to me because I don't know how this would be true, but um, one of the other Franks pilots from the 26, one of the cookie-cutter kids, he points out, your Franks' hall have unique designs. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a bit curious as to why. Now, 
there isn't an explanation I can think of offhand that makes sense because I don't think the kids themselves designed the Franks or why they were designed for them. I mean, the answer is the fact that we want to, of course, have good so- toy sales. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. That's... I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a perfectly valid reason somewhere. But these are things that make you know make sense to be asked. I'm glad that at least strengths My theory is that it has something to do with the emotions and just the nature of the pilots themselves when they when they combine. But we we all the, we saw them combine for the first time and the Franks were already built as they were, so never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> but this is the thing. I'm glad that the characters actually now developing, or sh- not developing, but showing self awareness. That like they're testing the the rules of the world themselves and trying to you know understand what's going on, and that in turn conveys information to the audience. This is good world building, and that to me is all the more staggering that we had so little of this in the previous four episodes, and now we're getting the opposite end of it. It's like it's like being jolted with electricity, like like you said, being hit over the head with a baseball bat. Yeah. I'm glad it's here. I'm just a bit astounded that if they had the capacity to do this, that they didn't more organically weave in bits and bobs earlier. But you know what? I'm not going to complain. I'm glad it's here now, as opposed to the opposite scenario where I'd just be like, ugh. Yeah. Why? I don't don't even know what I prefer, right? The kind of um, steady creeping along of an interesting thread or like just the complete shock to the system that was this, that I was not ready for. I mean when he when Zorobe asks like he's so expectant and hopeful and the 26 group just kind of looks at each other and like oh, he doesn't know they whisper and they're like nope none from our side and it's like there's clearly more that they know but they don't want to tell and like yeah i mean and the difference between the two groups like group 26 looks like they've just they look like beaten dogs they look like mm. just they've been through hell and, you know, Group 13 is a bunch of fresh-faced, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like, ready to go out and save the world and their Franks. And it's, God, it's just, it portends for some very, very interesting stuff. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay, so after after this, we Goro sees the full deal, right? Unzips oh, my heroes. God. <laughs> We we had we had heard earlier that he had a high yellow blood cell count. Oh, that confused the fuck out of me. That I is. know, and that that this is apparently the exact opposite of what happens to most people when they pilot with uh, zero two. I guess they get a drastic reduction, and he has too many. Uh, but the physical effect of this is uh, not yellow; it's very very blue. This to be right. If I don't know if this is true in the United States, but in the United Kingdom, a couple of years back. There was a change, I know this is going to sound like a tangent, but bear with me. There was a change to the law about advertisements and packaging for cigarettes. And they would always, always put on a picture of something incredibly disgusting, like a blackened lung or, you know, yes. people's teeth broke. And I thought, holy <laughs> shit, put that, put what's on Hero's chest on a fucking, <laughs> on a pack of cigarettes and no one will ever smoke again. Like... I'm no doctor here. I am I am not qualified in medical terms in any way apart from first aid and the, you know, art of bullshit. But I'm going to give you my prognosis on Hero as it stands right now from the way he looks. He is fucks. He is up shit creek without the paddle. But this is the thing that I wanted to bring up in relation to Mitsuru and also to Zero's Zero Two's question. Now, you said that this is not 
usual for what happens to Zero Zero Two. For one, Hero is still alive, so that's yes. that's the thing. Um, but this doesn't happen to Mitsuru either. And yet, we later learn at the end of the episode that Zero Two, she sees this, and she seems to know what it is. Or at least she has a very familiar attitude about it that doesn't befit what you might think. Yeah. I'm very curious as to what's going on here. And that being said, though, the actual drama from this is not just, of course, the fact that Hero <clears throat> is going out there half dead. And he, again, this actually is illustrative of his attitude towards Zero Two. And if he dies halfway through, um, well, Strelizia will be at best tiger mode when it was previously Mm -hmm. or worse completely inoperable and she's probably going to die um as a result so you know might want to go and get that checked out well she did she did okay with a a a corpse in there and then the unconscious meets her i think she'll be fine this is (laughs) this is true but the threat is admittedly much greater. Oh yes, uh, coming up here. And um, the reason this is happening, these Klaxosaur attacks, is that because they're doing the magma transfer, and as we've established previously, again, nice world building here, Klaxosaurs are attracted to magma energy. So when mm-hmm. you've got a full blown transfer of the stuff between two plantations, they're going to come in packs. So the plan is because the Klaxosaurs are going to attack the connecting bridge, uh, the twenty six pilots are going to be in the front line. With the 13 pilots, our heroes, in the rear, with one exception. And that is that Strelizia is going to pilot solo on the opposite side of the connecting bridge in case any come and attack from the rear. So, while indeed Strelizia can hold its own pretty well, indeed it actually feels a bit overpowered, to be quite honest, because we get a nerf in the next patch, maybe, you know. (laughs) Yep, a rebalance, please. The Klaxosaurs need to be not-so-shit tier. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement here. They're just they're just <laughs> trash, basically. They're like they're not even raid bosses. These guys, but the point is, is that Strelizzi is fly, flying solo here, and if Hero does drop dead, he's going to leave Zero Two at a significant disadvantage if they do start to get attacked on mass. And yeah, he hasn't obviously considered that, which again is indicative of his attitude towards her. But she in turn has the same attitude towards him because she doesn't say to him, um, "You do realize you look like you have." Stage ninety nine lung cancer. Here, well, she she clearly knows something, right? I mean, either 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 she knows that this is not the end for him, or she really is as callous as she has shown at other points in this show. Who can say? Who can say? <sighs> it's hard. It's hard to know, right? I mean, yes, we. There's a lot of evidence that she just does not give a fuck about anybody except herself, but. I mean, we've seen that she is a woman that puts on performances, that wears personality armor, that wears masks. And, I mean, part of me thinks, you know, and I guess this is just me being hopeful or me being an anime watcher, that, like, apart from herself, she actually does care about Hero. And she knows she she knows something, that there's some kind of possibility. Like, it's not just that, oh, if he dies, he dies, and he just didn't live up to the expectations I had for him. I think she's gambling on him overcoming this in the way that she's aware of is possible. Hmm. That would seem to be so. She's certainly not, she's certainly getting a level of ambiguity that is welcome here. And again, important for us to remember as the story progresses that for all that, you know, I might be dismissive of people's concerns about her and the fact that generally speaking, it comes across as rumor mongering nonsense. There's an old saying in Britain, which is there's no smoke without fire. So, 
That being said, I do have to point out that um, I did find this a bit incredulous, but again, this is my perspective and not the perspective of the character in question. So one of the cookie-cutter kids um, finds out that Zero Two is piloting Strelizia and loses his shit-something face over this. Because apparently Zero Two pilots Strelizia yeah. with, with a previous pilot in a battle with these kids and got his previous partner killed. Or so he so he believes. So he believes. But a couple of things I need to note here uh, to try and get a more objective handle on this fact. One, it takes two to tango in a Franks. So while Zero Two was indeed in Strelizia, who was with her? Who was the person piloting? To what degree did they have control over Zero Two or vice versa? We don't know. But it's not... Whatever happened was not so full. And the, the thing that actually happened was that she moved out of position. She didn't go berserk and kill them. She just went off and went elsewhere. Now, disobeying orders, that's in her character, yes. But, again, we're not seeing the we're not seeing the objective picture, which is fine. And that is actually a good thing, because, again, it reinforces yeah, doubt. It does, because I can imagine her taking that risk and not, uh, not caring about the risk so much. Yeah. Um, and... and yeah, reprioritizing what she thinks is important in that moment to to go off and and achieve some kind of total victory rather than protecting the backs of like her fellow allies. Like I can see that. I mean, like you said, like we all we have is this guy's biased testimony. Like we don't know. So yeah, th- this is a really really great scene. I think a lot of drama in this. Well, what we do see is the fact that Zero Two could not give less of a fuck about what he has to think. She is so <laughs> she cold. Does... Oh, so she claims to she, not yeah. remember. She is you know? so cold, like, weaklings just die. I'm like, true, but maybe you might not want to deliver it in such a cold and, you know, sandpaper way. Like, that's rough. Yeah. But that, again, is consistent with her character. But it reminds you that as much as you might enjoy her, you know, feeding hero syrup-covered bread or whatever, or enjoy the fact that you know she's provocative and generally confident and cool and such that there is a vicious streak to her and you need to keep mm-hmm. that in mind by the way at the beginning of the scene i don't i'm not sure if this is the subtitles or if this is actually sort of inherent in the dialogue but <laughs> they talk about the klaxosaurus coming and they say they are 3000 away but three three thousand what? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure what the unit of measure is, and it's fine. It's actually fine if there isn't any. I just found that like chuckle worthy. <laughs> um, funny enough, there's actually a dialogue issue I'll bring up later. But they do to give give some context here. The Klaxosaurs are going to arrive in approximately 36 hours from the point of that meeting yeah. of that briefing. So again, calm before the storm. They know it's coming. But there's nothing they can really do right now other than to prepare. And be <laughs> other than get for. emotionally fucked up. Because <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> and just to um, bring back to Goro here, he, of course, now learns yeah. about Hero's ridiculously debilitating condition. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, oh, I, I, it looks like he's been infected with the, the black goo from Prometheus. <laughs> it looks like, yeah, a, uh, a, a tiny alien is going to burst forth from his chest. <laughs> It's a protruding blue heart. It's, it's rough looking. Yeah. Oh, it's, it does look grim. But the thing is, Goro now knows this. He is burdened with yeah. this knowledge. Yeah. So the sensible thing to do would be that he would immediately go and tell Ichigo. Now, the thing is, though, that's a, that's a dynamite thing to do right there. That's a, that's a powder keg for a variety of reasons. Betrays Hero's trust. Gets exactly, her yeah. involved. 
and she is currently struggling, as we'll soon learn, separating her emotions and feelings for Hero from her duty as a leader. Yeah, yeah. And we get some good scenes from Goro this episode. I still think that there's more to come from him. I would like to see yeah. more kind of personal motivations and stuff. But but yeah, like, he clearly, like, it, the show establishes, like, that his relationship with, like, he's not just buddies with Hero because he's buddies with Ichigo. Like, you know, he that trust is important to him, and that's why he doesn't, you know, call the equivalent of nine one one immediately. Yeah, and and yet by him not doing anything, he is also now going to be guilty in part yeah. of anything that goes wrong. Because sure. again, to remind you, Strelizia is the one defender on the rear. If Strelizia falls or is taken out of action, hundreds of people could die. I mean, we still haven't seen the regular person in the show annoyingly, but whatever. I'll set that aside. I've banged on about it enough. But he is now guilty if anything goes wrong because he has the opportunity here to say something. And yeah, Zero Two Mary very well parrot on about, you know, he's fine and all that. But this is a an operation that could very well get all of them killed and lead to the destruction of both plantations. So the sensible thing to do would be to tell Ichigo, but he doesn't. The kid had, I mean, he's a kid, you know, his perspective, he has no perspective. <laughs> yeah, I... It's a difficult thing, and I, I'm not going to hold it against the show, because I think this is actually probably a reaction a lot of people would have in his shoes, particularly mm-hmm. if they are a close friend like they are to, uh, to Hero. And then, on top of that, not only if he doesn't tell him is there material consequences, Ichigo will be betrayed as well when she inevitably finds out. Yeah. This is really good build-up and drama and tension. I can't wait. I cannot. I'm stunned! Ugh. I'm absolutely flabbergasted that a show that I had written off as being puerile, juvenile horse crap is actually setting up the domino thing I saw previously. We've mm-hmm. got a, a whole powder keg worth of stuff that's going to detonate. I mean, I, th- I think I think it did it earlier when, you know, meets, we, we, it seeded Mitsuru and Ikuno, like, the the fallout that could happen. Like, both individually and when they come together, like, it sets some stuff up there, but it's the, it's doing an even better job of that here now. That is, yes, absolutely. And we've not even got yet to the next scene, uh, which is... Man, woo. this is, like, the best one. This is... All of yeah. this is just where I... I man, like this scene or i can't decide whether this scene or the the Zorume asks about adults is better but god this one is so good so like i think it begins for me even before they go to sleep when i think it's it, there may be more but i know it's hero zero two ichigo and goro mm-hmm. Poss- possibly yeah no there are others because Zorume pipes up goro has been of course told to keep quiet uh by hero but i think he is trying to still voice his objections and like possibly like um rustle up some support for keeping strelizia out of action among the group mm-hmm. um to be a conscientious objector here without giving everything away about what he knows and so he says like yeah i agree with the guys from 26 like strelizia should not be part of this what do you think, Ichigo? And he's banking here on Ichigo and her feelings for Hiro and and those bubbling up and her voicing an objection. But she just says, no, we need Strelizia. It'll be fine. And then it cuts to Zero Two's eyes. And you know she knows <laughs> that Goro knows. And 
they are I cannot tell if it is a person if zero two here is if this is a look of someone who feels guilt, rage, murderous intent. I don't know, but there's Maybe just so many feelings there and in, in that look on her face. It's incredible. Yeah. And then of course we we transition to the nighttime talk. Oh, oh, before we do there's something I want to contextualize before we get into this scene, which is that there's a scene earlier on with Hero and Zero Two at the lake where they first met. And oh no, sorry, no, they're not the lake, that's later, but they do have yeah. a scene earlier on in which she asks about rain. And Oh right, yes. Mm-hmm. Can you make it rain, lol? <laughs> Well, if he, you know, if he if he withdraws all his money that he's been saving all his life and starts palming it off, I reckon he might make it rain for a half a second, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, but the point being is that Hero explains that it only rains when Papa says it is, says, says it will, when Papa decrees. Right. The weather's controlled inside here. Again, God allegory and all that. So that's important for what happens in a bit. Because if... If it is true that Papa is controlling this, he's watching very closely and he has got a real sense of dramatic timing. Let's put it that way. (laughs) That's really funny. It's not just a cycle. It's Papa saying, wait for it, wait for it, and storm. (laughs) It's the Truman Show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It would not shock me. Yes. So, um, anyway, you were saying about the, uh, the scene at night. Ooh. Yes, so but it turns out Goro's sort of objections have not fallen on deaf ears, and Ichigo drags Zero Two out of bed into the courtyard, question mark, <laughs> the, the, the outer, the yard, the outside play, I don't know, whatever, outdoors. Just, just outside the greenhouse yes. that um, I think Mitsuru um, was in earlier. So and she starts saying, look, take care of Hero, okay? Like... This is dangerous. Please don't put a burden on him. She's pleading with her. Yeah, like don't don't push him too hard. And as you said before, Zero Two is very cold to her and says, "Look, darling, belongs to me. Okay, I do what I want with him. He has decided to ride with me, and you just need to stay out of it. It's our thing. Okay, it has nothing yeah. to do with you." And and then we have our, you know, moment of that could take people out of it, uh, in which Ichigo asks, are you trying to suck him dry? Let me let you know, me tell you something. And it's it's that double it's 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 that same thing as last episode of like you're meant to laugh, but also not to laugh. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, but doc, but doc. A couple of things. First off, I didn't mind so much, um, because in some way that is allegorical for what has happened previously. Like, literally, Mitsuru was a husk. There was nothing left of him. He was barely alive. So I'll allow it. I would argue the same the, the same symbolic weight can be given to the, like, I'm, I'm going deeper into you. Uh, we'll come back to this another time off cast, because I, oh god, <laughs> that, that's going to be forever. I'll like, wedge me sweet. I don't know. Anyway, well, point is... I actually read in the Discord recently, and I think this is um, something that Liquid Determination posted. Shout out to them if they happen to be listening. Um, to what degree this is true, I don't know, because I ultimately do not understand a single word of Japanese apart from numbers and certain other small bits and bobs. But apparently, that is not the actual intent of the f- of the phrasing in Japanese. The intent is something more to the effects of not using him. 
as opposed to how it's written. Well, sure, sure. I would I would wager that like there's that that happens a lot in those yeah in those scenes in the double entendres, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, but I think the intent was maybe that it wasn't meant to be a double entendre in its in its original language, and the subtitles are not entirely accurate. Now, again, I don't know this for certain. I could very well be wrong on this to take what I'm saying as a pinch of salt here. This is what I've heard secondhand. But if that's the case, then, um, <laughs> oh dear. Well, let's just say that sometimes it is a good idea as a translator not to pretend you're doing adaptation, let's put it that way. They are very much separate things, and sticking to the letter sometimes is a, a good idea, shall we say. I don't know. I mean, it, it seems in keeping with everything else that's happened. Like That's true, but there's a time and a place for this stuff and i think that phrasing it like that when she's pleading for you know hero's life here basically is uh again depending on your own we've gone over this you get my point i'm but i didn't mind so much this time around yeah i mean these people i just think the people are working with a different language and it can be quite funny because in our language game it only refers to like a lot of the things they're saying like sex and sex acts but mm-hmm. in their game there are other objects of which those words are the referent so mm-hmm. i don't know but yes like you said we'll we can we can hash this stuff out another time but that happened no idea if it's how sort of what the intent was of the original language but moving on so what <laughs> once uh, one zero two says something particularly cold, like you know, Ichigo says, "Hey, Hero could die here," and zero two simply says, "Well, if he does, then hey, he's gonna just... hate, bitch." Yeah, <laughs> he'll have just let me down. Like he just won't be everything I thought he was. And then Ichigo just slaps the shit out of Hero, knocking off her. How out of Hero? I'm sorry. <laughs> Slaps the shit out of Zero Two and a Freudian slip. <laughs> no, that, you want that to happen, and so do I. Wish, yeah, wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment. But no, yes. Uh, but no, she slaps Zero Two. Cold cocks her hard. Yeah, like her little her hair accessory falls out. Uh huh. Like she tumbles over, and you know, and she says like, ah, like you're not human. It's true. Everything they say about you, you're awful, and. Then we get the eyes and the horns glowing red in which Zero Two like slowly raises her visage and says, like, human, uh, what's human to you here in this place? Captain, I've sighted a plot point off the port bow. <laughs> yes. It's coming in yep. fast. No, um, first off, Ichigo has some fucking cojones. Yeah, the, the, the dynamite... The dynamite in small packages thing happening. Exactly. Maybe she doesn't know how strong Zero Two is. I mean, if it really did come down to a fight, Zero Two would leave her as a smear on the floor. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But wow, uh I was I was like, holy crap. You go Ichigo. No no seriously. Cause again, Zero Two is I, you may very well have, you know, feelings towards Hero of the kind that I have, which is intense hatred, uh, desire to see him dead, falling off a cliff, um, not only useful as a meat shield, you know, you can have those kind <laughs> of feelings towards him. But as as it's presented here, Zero Two is, oh, she, she's vile. She is vile 
about this. Yeah. I mean, they she has had no love for Ichigo in the past, but uh that smirk? Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty cruel here in this scene. Again, no no idea how much of it's a put on with her. Yes, I don't know, you know, but she could very well be being this way to push people away. That could be it. Who knows? Um don't get close to me. Don't slap me at it. Don't make me angry, right? Don't cuz like look, I mean, oh, what was what was bubbling beneath the cold exterior was it was incredible. I shuddered like the glow of her eye like oh it was tremendous, just tremendous. Zero two is between Ichigo and the greenhouse, and so she is con- her face is lit in shadow at this yep. point, as opposed to Ichigo's, which is of course in full bloom because the light is cascading over her. Yep. And you then, of course, get to see that Zero Two's eyes and her horns are now glowing uh, a bright red. Oof. And she, of course, asks, "What? What does human mean? And what is does it mean? Truly means to be human." And I have to wonder in some way if that little head accessory of hers is actually not just decoration, but is a limiter of some sort. Could be. Could be, yeah. Could be. Which, maybe it's a bit hackneyed, I suppose, to have characters who ultimately do have this other side to them, and then they try to fight to find their humanity in some way or another. Or, in Zero Two's case, devil may care, I'll be who I want to be. I mean, again, I'll make the reference again, I'm sorry to say, folks. With and I, I make this reference only because <clears throat> the core concepts of said reference I think has merit if it were executed properly, which is Elfin Lead. Because oh brother, no, 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 I thought you no, were going to say near. No, 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 no. I'm I'm deadly serious. I was, ho- I was hoping you would say near. Well, I suppose there's near that too, actually. <laughs> um, but I am I am deadly serious when I bring up Elfin Lead as a point of comparison, not because Elfin Lead I think inherently is a flawed concept, but rather it was just utterly mangled beyond recognition its execution i think mm-hmm. that dealing with uh, the subject matter of people particularly young people who've had toxic upbringings and have been abused and then examining them rediscovering their humanity and rediscovering you no know, warmth and joy is a good thing i think that's a, an admirable narrative even if it can be hokey or overdone and i'm wondering therefore if what zero two is saying about you know what truly defines a human is not just a reflection on herself, but a reflection on the way people have treated her in the past. I absolutely think, like, I mean, this is a woman who has been outside of this plantation. She has seen people die. I think she has seen Papa. She has seen the world and seen how humans treat each other from the top of the food chain or social strata on down to the bottom. And I think that comment, I would wager, is loaded with that. I mean, it's it's funny, like, in that scene, Zero Two is tall and, you know, woman-like, and Ichigo has this giant gown on <laughs> that is stretching nearly to the floor, and it's funny, but it I think it just accentuates, like, you know, she is still a child. Yeah. A leader, though, that she is, like, she's still very young and naive and inexperienced. Yep, Absolutely. So this is going to, I presume, I mean, I'm going to throw it out here right now. Let's play some Frank's bingo here. <laughs> Future episode, Delphidium and Strelizia fight. Calling it. Oh, un- undoubtedly. They are going to fight and it's going to be, I would argue, Frank's equivalent of um, Dyson and what was the other guy's name from Mac? Oh, Plus? Gold. gold. Gold, yeah. It's going to be the Dyson and Gold fight. I'm calling yeah. it. And Goro's going to be there like, Ichigo, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you fighting? I'm like, 
Fuck you, Garo. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> exactly. The boys will be like, no, no. The only question will be, like, will it be um, dampened by someone being under, like, mind control or some nonsense? No, I want it, when I say that the gold and Dyson fight, that is exactly the context I want it to happen. I want it to be the big robot equivalent of an actual emotional brawl. The kind that people mm-hmm. sometimes need to have in order to straighten out their differences. That's why I loved about that fight in Macross Plus, because it literally was just two people having a fist fight, but it, because of their differences <laughs> and their anger to each other. Like, the Narukami Hanamura <laughs> socialing mess. I was literally about to mention that. So that, uh, so that's why I wanted to be like, and I'm damn near certain that that fight is going to happen, and I just hope it's given the context it deserves. Yeah. I, I, that, will be, that will be amazing. All in all, what a superb scene. The absolute capstone of this episode, I would say. Yeah, easily. Yeah, and there's an there's a really good scene after that too. I know, where Ichigo and Goro are talking, and she, the dam within her bursts. Like she doesn't know what to do. She's like weeping. She's like, I, you know, I'm supposed to like put the team first, but I care about Hero. Here, she just keeps saying his name over and over. I mean, she clearly loves him. Like he's very important to her. I don't know if the nature of her love for him is familial, romantic, something in between. It's like, love though. Just friendship, friendship, but yeah, she loves him. And as much as Goro also, you know, cares for a hero, I think something about that was unsettling to him because he experienced some new feelings there of wanting to comfort her, but then knowing he probably couldn't and also being jealous that it was not him perhaps that she was calling out for there was a he pulled back and just said what is this feeling as he shook and that was such a powerful scene and poor Ichigo is without hero I mean she just seems so alone and I feel so sad for her yeah it's in some respects in hindsight this actually it doesn't absolve but it helps me understand a bit more Goro's own idiocy in how he handled the post-hero and Ichigo piloting cock-up. Mm-hmm. I think that with all that we've learned about these characters so far is that they're, in some ways, they are very much alike modern children in how they act. You know, very com- the competitive nature I've mentioned, the slightly toxic school environment of, I'm better than you, I'm going to do this first, and etc, etc. But on the other hand, they are just utterly, in some ways, unequipped to deal with these emotions. I mean, Again, there are the only adults in their lives are military staff. They are treated as soldiers. <laughs> yeah. And the one father figure they have is someone that they pray to, but ultimately do not see or have a face to put to. So, um, whole, I mean, holy crap. I, I has to be said as well, there is, we only see the Franks once in this entire episode and they're not piloted. They're just in their, you know, hangars. And I could not be happier in this instance that that is the case. Yeah. This is an entire episode's build-up to what I imagine episode six is going to be the shit hitting the fan super fucking hard. <laughs> and yeah. as I've said before, like in the previous stream of thought we did, I want to go from one episode to the other being excited for what comes next. And up until this point, that wasn't the case. And now I am all in. I was just going to say, I'm very unsurprised given now what we know about Noriko Takao's body of work that she storyboarded and directed this episode uh, without robots, without combat. That's fine. That is absolutely fine. The the downtime sometimes in action-heavy shows can, when they've got good characters, be the best part. 
I agree. And this easily so far is the best episode of Frank's. It's actually kind of shocking how much it's improved from four to five, in my opinion. And there is a closing scene in which um, Zero Two... I, I did find this funny, actually, because... Oh, yes, right, because, right. Because, <laughs> so it does start raining, actually, as I mentioned before, um, <laughs> when they have the little fight, uh, yeah. Zero Two and uh, Ichigo. And I thought, well, God really does have a sense of time, doesn't it? So she's still outside, though. And she's been outside all night, by the look of it. Like, it sure does, yeah. Yeah, and Hero doesn't happen to... He doesn't mention it at all. He's fine. Of but, course, he's got a debilitating illness to deal with. <laughs> Do, he's doing everything he can just to stand up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, chlamydia is bad, and so is, you know, everything else. Oh my else. gosh, it's an STD. I didn't even think about that. But this is something else. <laughs> I mean, it's not just his dick that's going to rot off, it's everything else. Holy Lord. He is utterly done for. So yeah, folks, let that be a lesson for you. Frank's is actually a story about contraception and making sure you practice safe sex. Oh my God. Christ I'm almighty. I'm joking, I'm joking. Is he going to put a hazmat suit on the next time he pilots? <laughs> All right, we're good to go. I'm going to on now. Beginning docking procedure. Oh, oh fucking hell. That's conjuring up some images. But yes, they, they meet and... Zero Two spots the thing, runs a hand over it. So she has some idea of what's going on. Just laughing, frolicking through the water. Yeah. <laughs> As the show goes to credits, you know, gives it gives him a chance to get out of it. You know, this is like, are you you gonna you gonna run from this like everyone else, or are you still DTF? And Hero says, You know I'm DTF, baby. <laughs> and then she <laughs> she strokes his uh, you know, bulging blue heart. <laughs> and then frolics away like yes she she yeah i mean it's oh such a hard read that woman she'd be a weird hang i'm not really sure i'd want to i'd want to be a part of, part of that oh i'm just thinking of what the first date with her would be like and i'm thinking well it'd definitely be the last one yeah no kidding <laughs> i mean, I, I, mean sure. I, I mean i like my women eccentric and extroverted but uh yeah even even disregarding the fact that you know she could give you Blue balls that travel up and become blue body. Like, she, like, full blue, like, fuck me, that looks, it just looks bad. I'll just take it from me. That's my artistic description of what Hero's got. It looks bad. Um, but even then, like, no, I don't think I could take this lady out on a day. I think she would be too much for me. But yes, uh, that, Indeed. that concludes the episode. And holy fuck, I, I could not believe it. What, give, give me your rating. What you got? <sighs> well, I'm going to give Darling in the Franks, episode five, four out of five sexually transmitted psychoflexis nonsense diseases. Four out of five, easily. Awesome. I mean, just to remind you folks, 2.5 previously. Like, read whatever you want to in this arbitrary scale of arbitrariness that we've come up with here, where we just come up with nonsense days previously. But there is definitely a significant improvement. I mean, just from the way I'm talking right now and the tone I'm taking with this, I'm not angry. I'm not annoyed. I'm not snarly. I'm genuinely infused by this show. And I'm happy that that's the case. Mm-hmm. But but that being said, now that it's set this standard, it's got to stick to it. I'm, and I'm praying yeah. to God that it does. I'm praying that it actually continues this standard. I mean, finally, the actual material that's going on, the writing is on par with the direction we've seen. And the direction is just getting better. So yep. thank fuck for that. 
I have a, I'll get on my apology box. I'll prostrate myself before this, this show itself and, and say, okay, I'm sorry. As long as it meets me halfway and continues to be this good. So, whew, thank fuck for that. Bring back Noriko Takao. Don't don't let don't let this be the only episode that she's involved in, please. Noriko drinks on me if ever we meet, honestly. I'll buy you a pint. I have nothing to add except that this episode was fucking brilliant and I give it five prayers to Papa out Whoa! of five. Yeah. First ever five of five awarded on this illustrious and important and listened to show show. Wow, you actually rated this higher than any episode of Evmo Junk. That is... I did. I did. Well, um, if you want to drop the mic now, Doc, now's as good a time as any to do it. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, <laughs> well then, folks, that's the end of Streamer 4, Episode 5. This will actually be out on Valentine's Day, so uh, I, in my own headcanon, like to believe that that is um, 02's Valentine's Day present to Hero, the fact that he is now dying... <laughs> I mean, oh boy, it's a present to me because I just don't like Twerp very much. But yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I kid, I kid, I kid. Um, so we will be back with episode six next week as usual. Um, and I'll stand over to Doc to tell us all about the places that he may be found on the internet or otherwise. Well, if you would like to chat with me about this show or anime or other nerderies. You can tweet me at the subtle doctor, or please send me a curious cat at curiouscat.me slash the subtle doctor if you'd like a sort of in-depth reply or to ask a question that you don't if you do if you don't want to make a tweet thread about your question, just curious cat it to me. Excellent. Uh, you can find me and Twitter at Shade and Tente or at curiouscat at curiouscat.me forward slash shade. So if you want to, you know, send me tweets about the fact that I'm a bloody lunatic for having such a u-turn on this show um or just <laughs> generally question my sanity then i'd welcome it Listen, i am just happy you're not like uh that you've not thrown out a take and you're just gonna you're gonna die on that hill with it that you know what i mean sticking to your guns at all costs like you follow the the evidence and the quality where it takes you and yeah i think uh to your credit that you have said hey look i hold my hands up the show is doing great and it just shows that you actually are invested in the media and you care about that succeeding and judging that more so than like hearing the sound of your own voice or your own opinion hey if me being wrong means that this show is good then well someone get a giant red marker and put a great big red x on my bald (laughs) fucking forehead because i will always happily accept i'm wrong if it means the show is actually you know, now getting better. I could not be happier that I have come into this particular episode of Streamer 4 with a smile on my face, as opposed to continue what I did last time, where I just took the piss out of the show pretty much constantly from start to finish, with exceptions, mind you. I do think that there's still been plenty of merit in Frank's on this point, but all my problem on this point has been the weak scripting, in my opinion, the weak writing. Mm. And now, on a fucking dime... It's just suddenly all come together. And, well, I'm in. I'm all on board. Fucking give, give me, put me in a fucking franks. Give me a plug suit. Well, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I, I am all on board for this show, and I could not be more excited to see what happens next week. Excellent. I mean, in well, a show about sexual metaphors, it is a bit odd that I am gushing so much, so I'll leave it on that note. Oh, good lord. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, everyone, uh, we bid you adieu. Take care of yourselves. And remember, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Thank you.